Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. Hello. Good morning. All right. Good morning, North Bay. How are we doing this morning? Good. It's a little weird to see the, uh, the clouds out this morning. Got, some, got rained on. It's a little weird. It doesn't, it doesn't feel normal now. So after months and months of sunshine. But uh, it's good to be with you today. I did remember I'm, I'm preaching dance. Decided to show up for you. Um, so you don't have to play a video or something. Um, but it's, uh, it's great to be here. And we're going to continue in our series today that Dan started last week called This is Colossians. Um, Colossians is a, uh, is a book in the New Testament. It's a letter that Paul wrote while in prison to a, a little group of Christians in this town called Colossae. Um, Dan opened the, uh, the series last week with the question, who do you think you are? He said it just like that too, just aggressive. Who do you think you are? Um, but the reason he did that is that the book of Colossians talks a lot about our identity, uh, when you dive into Colossians, you see that Paul makes it really clear who we are and who God is. And so today we're going to dive into that idea of identity. Um, identity is a huge focus in our culture right now. Uh, we, we spend a lot of time figuring out who we are. We spend a lot of time talking about who we are as ourself and where we get our worth. Uh, maybe you've seen some of these quizzes online. Maybe you've taken quizzes online. Like last week, I found three that I'll share with you. One was, which U.S. president are you? Isn't that something you've always wanted to know? Um, how about this one? Which Disney princess are you? Does that, anyone curious about that? Pocahontas? Okay. Uh, and then uh, this one was, was funny. I found this one. Which Avenger are you destined to date? What? Seriously? Uh, we, have, we have this sort of innate thing in us where we want to know who we are. And so we're always curious to, you know, th- these things intrigue us. We want to find out a little bit more about, about who we are. And for the Christ follower, um, our sense of self and our sense of worth comes from knowing Christ. And that's what we're going to focus on today, that for, for us who follow Christ, our sense of self and our sense of worth comes from knowing Christ. Um, Paul, in the book of Colossians and throughout the New Testament, he uses the phrase, in Christ, 164 times. Just throughout the New Testament, in all 13 of his letters, he uses the phrase, in Christ, that we are in Christ, 164 times. It's, it's kind of a big deal. And so today I titled my message, I am confident in Christ, because that's what, what God wants us to be. He wants us to be confident and find our confidence, our sense of identity and worth in Christ. And what we're going to discover is that when we really know who we are in Christ, then we can live with confidence. We can live boldly when we know who we are in Christ. This idea of confidence, our culture loves confidence. Uh, Some people say that uh, confidence is equal with being successful, that if you want to be successful in something, you must be confident, that it's even more important than than maybe what you know or who you know, it's just the fact that you are confident. 
It can be the difference between winning and losing. It can be the difference between uh, moving forward in your job or getting what you want out of life. <clears throat> I remember when I was back in elementary school, um, confidence was a big deal. Uh, we used the word self-esteem a lot. Anybody ever hear, hear that word a lot in school? Self-esteem? It seemed like every assembly was about self-esteem. The message of every motivational speaker is, you can believe in yourself. If you just believe in yourself enough, you can accomplish your dreams. You are special. You are a unique snowflake. They, I didn't hear that one, but I just want to throw that in there. But self-esteem was a big deal. Um, we had this program back when I was in elementary school called D.A.R.E. Anybody remember D.A.R.E.? D.A.R.E. to keep kids off drugs. They had the black t-shirts, red letters. And I remember one day we had a D.A.R.E. officer come to our class, and he did a little, little, uh, a little speech on self-esteem. And he brought us, he showed us a self-esteem balloon. Did anybody see this in class? Well, if you haven't, I brought one today. So this is my, uh, my self-esteem balloon right here. Um, I thought it'd be better just to show you kind of what, what it was about. So he said that inside we all have a self-esteem balloon. And, and self-esteem is basically who we think we are. And he said when people give us compliments or praise us, it fills up our self-esteem balloon. So I want to do that this morning. Forgot to, have, to blow a balloon. All right, so when, when people think highly of us, we feel like this, right? Is this, is this accurate? That when we get enough compliments, this is, you know, fourth grade, we, we feel good. But when we get put down, what happens? Right? Just kind of leaks out. Just kind of leaks out when we, people criticize us or put it down. And so for the next month, my class literally charted out every time someone gave us a compliment or a put down. And it, was, it became a game to us. We would give each other compliments, and then I had a chart under my graph where I tallied every time we received a compliment or a put-down. It became a gain. Someone would say, hey, Tyler, that's a nice shirt. Oh, cool. Go to my desk and, and write it down. It's funny. It seems a little silly, but a lot of us, we all kind of still live this way. We all kind of still live this way if we're honest. I don't think a whole lot has changed since the fourth grade. We became adults and insecurity didn't go away. It didn't vanish. Uh, we, we still kind of depend on others' approval. Or we depend on our success to, to validate our, our self-worth. I want to share a recent article. I'm going to let this go, by the way. Um, I want to share a recent article in Forbes that talked about the five most common places adults look for self-worth. The first is we look for self-worth in people around us. Just like in the fourth grade, we place stock in what people think. Uh, we find our value in being included in groups. Um, we, we place our value uh, on our family relationships. Another place we look for self-worth is titles. Uh, job titles and other roles, they reinforce the idea that we're somebody. If we have this title, if we have this authority, we're viewed as important. And that can uh, inflate our balloon, so to speak. Um, money. They said money is another place. Wealth can inflate 
uh, our sense of self-worth. You know, we even have that idea, how much are you worth? We mean money, your, your net worth. And wealth, we believe, it gives us power and flexibility. Another thing they said was achievements. We want to be known for what we do. Sometimes we place our value in what we can achieve. Um, what happens is when we fail, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow, right? When we want to achieve something and we don't, um, that deflates our balloon, so to speak. And the last one they said is looks. Now, this is a staggering statistic, but did you know that 18% of people in North America, only 18% of people in North America are satisfied with the way they look? I mean, so if you want to find a place of massive insecurity, it's there. It's there. We still want compliments on our dinosaur t-shirt. <laughs> so there's five things, uh, five areas where we look for confidence um, outside of Christ. Are there things on that list that you resonate with? There are things that resonate with me. Tim Keller said this. He said, it's very easy today to be a professing Christian and let culture tell you who you are. You can come to church you can believe in Christ, but when you get back at work, when you get back at home, we often let other's things define who we are. We give other things precedence. And so even as Christians, we constantly struggle with, with looking at places outside of our relationship with Christ to find our worth and our confidence. So as we dive into Colossians today, what, what Paul will, will share with us is this huge picture of who Jesus is. And my hope today is that we come to a place where we get lost in who Jesus is. That our confidence, our, um, our little tiny uh, self-esteem balloons will pop when we realize how great Jesus is. Um, so Paul is going to bring us back to Christ. He's going to show us why it's in Christ that we find our own security and worth. This is Colossians 1.15. Uh, it says this, you can follow along. On the screen, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So in everything, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And through him reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's a big Jesus. That is a big Jesus. This is, Paul actually breaks into a poem in the middle of this letter. If you, if you notice, this is, this is poetic. Paul, Paul breaks into a poem here in the middle of the letter to, to exclaim how big Jesus is. I know often we think of Jesus as a humble and meek teacher who washes people's feet. And what Paul does in this message is he, he rips the blinders off. That Jesus is not just the humble teacher, he is the immense God of the universe. He's not just a Yoda 
type figure. He is, he is massive. He is everything. And so what I want to do today is to get, get a picture of Christ's identity. Because it's in Christ's identity that we find our identity as his followers. So um, let's just look at the list, if we can. There's a list. All right. So, um, so confidence in Christ, it starts with focusing on his identity, not ours. And these, I'm just going to go through the list here. Um, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So that means he's God made accessible. Uh, John Piper said that Jesus is God made accessible. That, that all religions, all walks of life, we're looking for ways to find God. We're trying to search for God. Um, there are some religions and philosophies that say God might be real, but even if he is real, we can't really know him. He's too big. He's too distant. Other religions are based on prophets who admittedly weren't God, but claimed to speak for God. And the only way that we could understand God was through a certain prophet. But Jesus is the only one who is that full picture of God. And we can be confident that what we see in Jesus is what we get from God. When we see Jesus love people and heal people and give himself for people, that is a picture of God's heart. That is the real God. That is God. And so why we pursue Jesus and make a big deal about Jesus is that to know Jesus is to know God. And so that's, that's, uh, that's what it means when it says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. But not only that, let's go to the next one. He's at the center of creation. He's at the center of creation. Verse 16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. I don't know if there's a bigger statement than that one right there. I mean, Paul is basically saying that, that Jesus was the conduit that created the physical world and the spiritual world, and it was created through him, but it wasn't just that, it was created for him, that he controls the spiritual world and the physical world. That is, that's huge. I, I can't even comprehend how big that is, so I'm not going to try to explain it this morning. I'm just, we're just going to say that Jesus is the boss. Can we say that? Jesus is the boss. The next one is interesting. It says he holds everything together. And that Jesus holds everything together. Now, I'm not Bill Nye. I'm not a science guy. Um, but this is an interesting scientific idea that, that Jesus literally holds life together. There was a story about a, a tour guide who took a group of people through an atomic laboratory and he explained how matter was composed of these rapidly moving electric particles. And the tourists, they studied these um, models of molecules. And they were amazed to learn that, that matter is made up primarily of just empty space. Of empty space. And during the question period, one visitor asked, if this is the way that matter works, what holds it all together? And the guy had no answer for that. No answer. I might make a suggestion based on this passage. 
I would suggest that Jesus actually holds us together right now. He actually holds our being together. The fabric of who we are is held together through Jesus. If this is true, it's a really good thing that he loves us, right? It's a really good thing that Jesus loves us because if that's true, all of life is a gift of God. Jesus could, could, could in a millisecond just, just remove us from existence, but he doesn't, does he? It's because he loves us. So Jesus isn't just the center of creation. We also see that he's the center of the church. He's the center of the church. Jesus is called the head of the church. Paul, you can connect this in 1 Corinthians where, where um, Paul compares Jesus' relationship to a church or to the church like, like a, a bride to her husband. That when that, that Jesus loves the church and he gave his life for the church and he he partners with the church, and the church takes his name and his identity. They take his protection. They enter into his family. And that's Jesus' relationship with us, the church. It's amazing that Jesus, Jesus loves his church, and he laid down his life for his church. And it says that he is the, the firstborn of, um, of the dead meaning that he didn't just die for the church, he also rose again so that the church could have life. That's a pretty amazing. And the, the church is, doesn't just experience life for itself, but it also connects with others and connects them to this new life in Christ. So this is really thick, so thank you for tracking with me. We're going to keep going. Paul says that Jesus is fully God. He's fully God. It says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. Despite what others might say, Jesus was and is completely God. The fullness of God is seen in, in the person of Jesus. He says in John 10, he says that I and the Father are one. There's complete connection in this, in this uh, relationship in the Trinity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're entirely connected. They're entirely fully God. And there's this complete unity that we're actually invited into. Not that we are God, but he in John 17 says, may they be one with us. And he desires that for us. So if you're true to the Bible, you can't make Jesus into anything less than God. And the last part of this, this chunk of scripture, uh, Paul says that he's reconnected everything to God, including you. That all of the, in all of this, he's reconnected us to God. It says that Jesus reconciled to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You guys might know this, but because of our sin, Paul says we're completely cut off from God. We, we, we could have experienced this, this intimate relationship with God, but because of our sin, we were cut off from God. And the only thing that could bring us back is Jesus, is God himself laying down his life for us. It says that before that, we were enemies of God. And so Jesus doesn't just bring us in. He takes us from a place of being opposed to God, far from God, enemies of God, to being sons of God. That is, that is a serious adoption. So let's step back for a moment as I've just 
gone through all of these things about, about who God is, who Jesus is, let me ask this question. Is there anything that Jesus can't do for you? If Jesus has, is this all-powerful, um, omnipotent being, is there anything that he can't do for you? Because he's not just that. He's also the Savior who gave it up and loved you enough to die for you. You know, we get so stuck with our balloons. We get so stuck with trying to figure out some self-worth in this life, figuring out how to make a name for ourselves, or how to, how to have people around us that make us feel good when Jesus wants to show us who he is and show us this huge picture. So we need to step back and look at this big Jesus because that's where we can find our confidence. We can take anything to Jesus. We can, we can come before him. He's big enough to take on anything that we may have done. Any sin Jesus can take. There's no part of your life that Jesus can't redeem. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, as we continue, we're going to keep going through this. This is verse 21. It says, Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies. There it is again. You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Again, there's just so much there, um, but I want to get back and focus on identity. Paul says in, in the first part of this scripture that, that Jesus restored our identity by giving up his own identity. He reconciled us, reconciled us to God through his own body in order to present us wholly before God. He had to give up himself in order to do that. In Philippians, it talks about how Jesus emptied himself, emptied himself of, uh, of all of his authority um, in order to, to take on a cross and die for us. And that's what he did. He emptied himself um, so that we could experience life in, in God. He gave it up. Paul says that before Jesus did this, we were alienated. That word means estranged. It's like we were, we were made strangers to God. Um, but Jesus in his love comes and he restores that. Um, he restores our identity. And before Christ, our identity is ruined. We, have, we, uh, we ruined our identity with sin. I talked um, before about... Um, the picture of us before Christ, or the picture of humanity is, is like a, a ruined Rembrandt. It's like a painting that, that just took tons of, of time and effort, and it's just beautiful, and yet it's marred and ruined. 
And, and we're created in the image of God. But when we sin, we became marred. And the only work that would restore it was the actual work of the artist to restore it to its original glory. It's the work of transformation. It's a continual work of transformation. Paul is saying that our ruined identity died in his body. That what was ruined left in his body. Our ruined identity uh, is changed. And this is a continual process. This is a continual process. Every day we are changing when we follow Christ. Do you believe that? Every day we're changing. You're different than you were 10 years ago. Anybody praise Jesus for that? Yeah. Because when we progress in Christ, we become more of who God wants us to be. More of who God intended for us to be. Um, I'm going to pick on someone who's not here. Um, I'm going to pick on my dad. So um, I know him a little bit so I can share his story. And he doesn't live here, so, you know, it's, it's okay. I can just pick on him. Not important. Um, but my dad, uh, when, when he was 20, uh, he got saved when he was 20. And before that, he was, he was very heavy into the drug scene. Um, but God pulled him out of that when he was 20. And over the years, he, he, uh, he grew up in, in, in Christ, and God continued to shape his life. Um, when my dad was in his 30s, he started to feel a call towards pastoring, pastoral ministry. He felt like God had put a call on his life in his 30s, and he didn't know what to do with that. So he just started talking with people, and he continued to do what he was doing. What started... In his mid-30s, it wasn't, God wasn't ready to launch him into something until he was 46. When he was 46, my dad became a pastor. But all through that time, God was working on him. I think it had something to do with raising me. It was just too tough. Um, but all through that time, God continued to work on him, work on him. We're not the same that we were 10 years ago. God continues to, to work on us and mold us um, into the person that he wants us to be. It's a journey that we don't retire from. It's a journey that keeps going. We're not on a career path. We're on a Jesus path. That at any moment, Jesus can flip the switch and, and put us in a place that he wants us to be. And he's continually, whether you believe it or not, he's continually preparing you for whatever lies ahead. So he continues to shape us into his identity. I want to encourage you today that this isn't just a slow process. You don't have to wait 10 years uh, for all of this. Paul says that through his death, Jesus presents us holy in God's sight immediately. That's an immediate gift that you are right before God. And that's the foundation that your life builds on. He covers you in his identity. And we can stand confidently before the Father under Christ's identity. That's this next part, is we can, we can confidently stand before the Father under Christ's identity. Because when you claim Jesus, you claim that identity over yourself. That God, in, in his justice and wrath, he doesn't see you, he sees Christ, and Christ in you. And that's the heart of the gospel, is that we, because of Jesus, we get to stand free and clear before God. Now, there's a word in there that I think is important to address. You got to pay attention to verse 23. It says, if you continue in your faith, that word if, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, 
and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So there's expectation for us. And I know that word if can sound a little scary. Some people would even say, oh, well, you can lose your salvation. And I don't really think that's what it's saying. I think that what it says is that when we experience Christ for who he is, we will continue walking with him. One of the verses that I find encouraging is, is Philippians 1.6 that says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That whatever God started in you, if you uh, pursue him, will con- he will continue to uh, complete that work. It comes down to trust. It comes down to continually trusting Christ, to not stop pursuing And um, our part in this is to keep pursuing Jesus and not shift. That's it. It's just we got to keep pursuing Jesus every day. Keep pursuing Jesus and not shift. Don't move away from Jesus. Don't veer back towards the things that once filled your balloon. Um, don't veer to, to these other things. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep pressing into him. Because this growth in Christ is a continual thing. It's where we allow God to have full reign uh, of our lives. And then it's from that place where he changes us. The main point of this this message is this. And this is what I want to share. This is the encouragement today. If you can take home anything, take home this. It's the sermon in a sentence. I am confident because I carry Christ's identity in me. I'm confident because I carry Christ's identity in you. He who began a good work is going to be faithful to complete it. Paul says the hope, our hope of glory is Christ in us. It's Christ in us. Again, 164 times Paul says in Christ. We are, we are a new creation in Christ, and that is our hope. And so what that means is that we have Christ's DNA in us. He is transforming us from the inside out. And that's our hope. That's our hope. When he says hope of glory, the hope of glory, what we, we can equate that word hope with confidence. And so we're confident. We, our hope is not a maybe. It's not a wish. It's a reality. It's, a, it's an expectation of a reality um, that we have hope in Christ and that one day we will be with him forever. We can believe that and hang on to that with certainty. You know, it's when we hit setbacks in our life is when we're tempted to doubt that. That Christ is, is actually in us. Um, that Christ is actually working on us when we hit setbacks. I'm surprised at how often um, when, when struggle comes, um, I, I, I want to doubt God. Um, but as, as I've... As I've got, I'm not old, but as I've gotten older, and some of you are way ahead of me.